Well, just south of here is uh, one of the last remaining natural rivers in the United States. It, uh, meaning it is nowhere is uh, it dammed up. It just runs naturally. Anyone know which river that is? It's protected by the National Park Service. The Buffalo National River. Yes, it's one of my favorite places to go backpacking. Uh, it's just absolutely gorgeous. And so as you're walking along the, the uh, Buffalo River, it goes for miles and miles and miles. Has anybody ever been there, the Bush, Buffalo National River in Arkansas? It's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, these huge bluffs and then this water that is just purely natural, all of it. Nowhere has it been... Uh, uh, set back for reservation or stopped from flowing. It just flows and goes naturally wherever it may lead. Now, not quite on the Buffalo National River, but on another river this past summer with Prodeo, with Prodeo Youth Center, I served as a sponsor on a float trip. That was exciting, okay? It's a lot of energy on that float trip. And uh, uh, we were on another river, this one in Missouri, and as we were floating around, um, I got confused. Tim, someone said that uh, lunch would be served on the river. So I thought with the tour guides that we were with that they would be bringing lunch to a stop along the river and we would see them and they would have lunch set up. You know, I'm just a suburb kid here, so I didn't know what I was thinking. Maybe that they were going to be like cooking on the bank of the river for us. It was going to be a hot lunch prepared for us. And uh, what I didn't realize, uh, because I took off in a kayak uh, with a few of the boys, Ray Cornette and I took off in a kayak and just went flying. And I missed the fact that we packed our lunch. We put it on canoes. And we were all meeting up together to eat, to eat together. And so when they all began to stop, and there was a row of canoes and kayaks all tethered together, and they were screaming at me, hey, Jake, let's stop, let's stop. And I say, nah, I'm going ahead. I thought what I was saying is, no, I'm going to get to lunch before you do because I'm hungry. <laughs> what, <laughs> what I didn't realize I was doing was I, I, I was giving up lunch uh, this is not the story I want to tell you, so I'll speed this one up. Uh, but as I, as I went on, I realized no one's coming with me, and I was alone. And two hours later, I was like, uh, I asked, I saw one of our guides kind of come by me. They were on their way going up some, and I said, hey, uh, when's, when's lunch? <laughs> what time is it? She's like, well, it's 2.30. I said, oh, have we missed lunch? And she goes, yeah, you missed lunch. They had it like way back there, and I said, no, and then she explained it to me, and they gave me like an emergency Gatorade. It was very, <laughs> I was real hungry. I think they thought I was going to die on the river, um, but while I was waiting for all of my friends wondering where everyone else was at, I, I found a spot in the river that uh, had um, burrowed, might be the right word, had carved a channel. And uh, um, because the main river had such current in it, it had taken an old tree and had placed that tree alongside the, the, the new current, that or not current, but the new branch of river, and had kind of protected it. And the, the main river was so murky, so muddy that you, uh, is that right, Emma? You couldn't really see through it, right? I mean, it was kind of just kind of dirty because the flow was just taking 
all the banks and everything with it. And so it had made this like thick mix of, of, of brown. But in this current, I walked back there. This is a little bit TMI. You don't need to know this, but it happened. I did yoga back there in this little, that's not what you thought I was going to say, was it? This little, <laughs> that's all I did, guys. And so uh, this little branch, I went back there and the water was crystal clear. You could see all the way through it. You can see all the new things that are coming to life in this branch. There was something darling spiritual about it, so I did yoga. I don't know. This is the way I connected to the earth. I have no I had no idea what I was doing really, but it felt right. This <laughs> this morning I want to read to you a passage of scripture that reminds me of rivers. It's in John chapter 6, and it connects with the passage we read last week. And you remember with the bread of life last week that the people that were with Jesus had just been fed. They were excited about their being fed. And they imagined in their minds that if they could just live back in the previous moment, if they could stay rooted in what just happened, if they could live in the past blessing and just reduplicate the past blessing, that this would be such a great life if God could just do what he did yesterday and just do it every day. Well, now we're further on into this passage, and what changes in this next set of verses is the crowd. See, the crowd that Jesus was speaking to with last week, that crowd was, you could refer to them as outsiders, those that weren't really super steeped in Jewish tradition. You'll notice as we read the passage this morning that the crowd has changed, and these people that Jesus is speaking to this morning, these people are, um, Bonnie, what's the, it's like they're churchgoers. It's like they're good church kids. They have grown up in religious tradition for centuries, and they know, they know church, they think they know church better than this guy from Nazareth knows church. And so last week's crowd was outsiders that had experienced blessing. They loved the blessing. They remember the joys of the blessing back when church was great again. And they're old well, back when church was great. And, and they long for Jesus just to go back to when it was great, to make it great again, which is to say we recreate the time in which we remembered was great. This week's Group is, is a new group, same message, new group. And it's those that know the tradition. They know church. They know religion. It's in John chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 35. And then we're going to move quickly from th verse 35 to the 41st verse. Here it is. I talked all that time, and I don't have it queued up. Here we are. Starting with verse 35, Jesus replied, you remember this was the verse from last week, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now verse 41, we're going to jump down just six verses here. Then the people began to murmur, and these people are people of the Jewish tradition. These are people that know, they, they know the tradition, they know the church. 
Then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Now they're looking at this scrawny little uh, snot-nosed kid from Nazareth. And they say, wait a second. Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say, I come down from heaven? It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, if you can believe that. They look at this little kid from youth group, and they say, hey, wait a second. Isn't that the kid that used to throw toilet paper rolls on Zacchaeus' house or something? I know this kid, man. That little kid, I changed his diapers. I've seen what mess he's possible of making. Surely this can't. Surely he can't be the one that we're all waiting on. You know him, right? Yeah, I know Mary. I know Joseph. No good thing can come from Mary and Joseph's offspring. But Jesus replied, Stop complaining about what I said. It's interesting, isn't it? Just after Jesus had blessed the 5,000 and he fed all of these hungry people, that it's the Jewish people that are complaining after being fed in the desert. It's interesting, isn't it? Just some things never change. They just, they just, find, new, just find new ways. Uh, this is, if you're familiar with the biblical story, this sounds a lot like Exodus 16, in which uh, the Israelites have been traveling for 40 years. They're in the desert. Jesus, our God, blesses them with manna. They wake up, they eat. The next day, they freak out, want to know where food is, and they start complaining that they're going to die in the desert. Well, here is a very similar Similar miracle. Jesus feeds everybody. They are fed. And then now here's the Jewish people saying, well, this guy, I know him. I've seen him. He doesn't look like Messiah. You know what he looks like. He looks like Joseph's kid. I know Joseph. There ain't no Messiah coming from Joseph. And they start complaining. And Jesus says, stop complaining about what I said, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. I want you to hang on to that word. No one can come to me unless the Father draws them to me. I want you to hang on to that word that the Father draws. It's the word draw that I want you to hang on to. And at the last day, Jesus said, I will raise them up, the ones that the Father draws to me. As it's written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father, only I who was sent from God have seen him. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, you heard me. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I will offer to the world is my flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. So what happens to rivers when you do dam them up? What happens 
You see, I like to think that at some point, Lewis and Clark, right? And Pocahontas, was Pocahontas with Lewis and Clark? Is that right? No. Sacagawea. Nah, Sarah Courtney's going to have to teach me up on history now. So Lewis and Clark and Sacagawea, as they are navigating these rivers that, uh, at least for the Western world, had never been seen. For the most part, I would imagine that they hadn't been dammed unless done so naturally by beavers or storms or what have you. But for the most part, if you could have had Google Maps in that year, when was that? That was, what year are we talking? What century? Is that 15th century or 16th century? Or 18th century? Oh, man, I'm so, I hope the podcast isn't working this week. Say it again. Yeah, in the 1800s. That's what I said, right? <laughs> sure. All right. Well, obviously, I hadn't researched that, okay? So please forgive me. But if we had Google Maps back then, the whole point was, how cool would it be to see all of these veins of rivers across the United States? But at some point, somewhere, like Las Vegas, Someone said, man, it would be good to have a reservoir of this water. This water is so good. It is so pure. You can see all the way through it. It is so clean. We should save it for, our gener- for, for generations after us. We could not only use it for showering and drinking, oh, but we, we could use it for recreation as well. We, we should stop the flow of this water. We should reserve it. And now if you look at Google Maps, you can begin to see that the flow in a lot of these places have stopped and that the damming of these rivers is actually causing, it's, it's, it's great recreational fun, but it's beginning to cause some other larger consequences um, ecologically. Yesterday I was, I was running with the Team World Vision team and there was a place along the path that they had dammed. Have you ever seen water that's not being uh, maintained that has been dammed? This water had an algae that was so thick. Uh, Shelly, I think you saw it too because everyone went past the same path. and you saw, I wonder how thick that algae was. I know that it, you couldn't see through the water. You couldn't even tell that it was water. It was just one thick layer. of. But on the other side was this beautiful flowing stream. But where it had been dammed, it had become so stagnant. You know, in our own lives, I think, that we come across stuff from time to time in which we experience is so good, so pure, so right, so true, that we just want to bottle it up. We don't ever want to leave from that moment. We never, ever want to stop the honeymoon, right? That we just are so excited for whatever new thing that we've experienced that in this honeymoon stage, if we could just somehow put a cap on it and bottle it up, if we could just build a wall big enough to contain the very thing that we think is so sacred and so special, if we could just dam up that flow. But what happens when we start building walls around times and seasons and relationships? When we're so in love with our children and what God has done for our children that we never let them go outside because we're so afraid of what might happen to them and what's inside is so sacred and so pure 
that we just protect them. It's out of a good heart that we do that. It's out of a beautiful motivation that we do that. But what happens when we stop the flow? We may for a while have a reservoir. But after a while, either the water is going to grow stagnant or the land that needs the water that you've now dammed up is drying out. And the intentions in which you started out with was really good. That you would have this, you would have this reserve, this reservoir of blessing in which you could always dip into and always recreate and always keep sacred. But the long-term impact of that is that it's not living. It's that it's not organic. It's just bread. It's just bread. Perhaps it becomes an object. And it's what that object represents in your life. But the object isn't living, it's just like bread. Perhaps that object is a car. I don't know. I'm just making this up too. So, Perhaps that object is a car. It's going to grow rust on it. It just will. It will happen. Maybe that car represents something to you that is so outstanding. And you can pour all of your life and all of your energy into that car to make sure that it reminds you always of the first day that you got it. But listen, sister, brother... It's either going to rust now or when you die. It's going to rust. It's just bread. And so here are these people, right? These folks that have gone to church their whole life. They know all of the stories. They actually, I think, and I say this with love in my heart, I think a lot of times they're like us. Where I open up the Bible and I say, I'm going to preach out of John 6, and the first words out of my, my mouth are, I am the bread of life, and your face looks to me, and I have the same face. So I'm not trying to call you out too much, just trying to be honest here. Your face has to me, uh, unimpressed. I've heard this before. Yes, he's the bread of life. We get it. Jake, you're just a seminary kid from Indiana. What are you going to tell me today that's going to make me come to life? It's the temptation of all church people, really. Yes, Jesus, we know the story. But who are you? We know the story of Abraham and the Israelites and the manna. What you did back there was really neat. But you're not God. You're the son of Joseph and Mary. I tell you what, Jesus, if you could, if you could just take us back to the wilderness, if you could recreate what you just did, if you could actually do it in the wilderness, right where we were, let's take a pilgrimage. We'll call it 21st General Assembly, and we'll all gather together, and we'll go back to a place where your blessing fell upon us, and then if you could recreate it for us in the very exact spot in which we were, then we'll know. But you can't do that. You're just Joseph's kid, dude. How many times, really, 
Do we show up to church expecting, wanting, really desperately, honestly needing some sort of new life? But our trust in this community, our trust in this word, our trust in this gathering, it's kind of boring, stagnant. There's no pizzazz here. We've heard these stories before. We've heard preachers preach with passion like you before. It's just New Beginnings Church. Honestly, the good that's happened here happened yesterday. What good could happen today? It's just the same old, same old. And I only use New Beginnings Church because that's a safe thing, right? You wouldn't want me to use your life, you know, so I won't put your life on blast. But perhaps... This very way of talking about things could be used for your children. Or for your marriage. Or for your job. And it is so easy for us to just expect that our marriage will never change. And that the only way to experience anything good anymore from that person is to draw from the reservoir that's now growing stagnant. And it is hard to wake up in the morning and to look your spouse in the eyes. And when I say spouse, I also mean boyfriend, girlfriend, wherever you are in life. I just happen to be married, so that's, I draw on that a lot. But we wake up right next to the person that we're in relationship with. And we try to convince ourselves that we're in love. But let's be honest with ourselves, that reservoir is growing pretty stale, isn't it? There's nothing living there. There's nothing flowing there anymore. At some point, we, we, we stopped the flow of living water so that we could reserve the goodness that's there. And now, after living out of that reserve for so long, it's beginning to dry up. We see this in the Jewish people. That if they could somehow just continue to recreate God's presence, if they could contain it, they'll build a temple around it. They'll enshrine it with sacred curtains. And inside that presence, God will live, never to leave again, so that way they can access it whenever they want to. That they become in control of the very presence of God. And if they could just continue to create liturgies and customs and worships around the Holy of Holies, and everything would be fine. But the moment that the presence comes out of the Holy of Holies and it begins to live like organic material, then all bets are off because the Jewish people then could not control it. It would be best just to keep God contained. But what happens when you contain living things? They stagnate, don't they? Oh, it's been too long, Cindy, on this point. When I read this passage, what I feel when I read it, I can't help but see these inquisitical people with these screwed up faces looking at Jesus trying to figure him out. Kind of like, you're not supposed to look like that. The Messiah is supposed to look different than that. I can just feel their confusion. When we read the beginning story of God, what we read 
is dynamism. Wouldn't you agree? That when we read in Genesis where things are just bursting forth with life, you would describe that as dynamic, but the opposite of dynamic is fruitless. The antonyms for dynamic include idle, impotent, lifeless. These people have grown disconnected. They had grown divided. They had grown separated. They had grown disconnected trying to live a connected life to God, trying to control it, (laughs) trying to make sure that all of the, the customs and the order and the law was all just the way that they could understand it. That was the way that you connect to God. They had to go through their own mental understanding and capacity. And so they grew disconnected trying to control the method in which they connected to God. They grew divided. Who gets to stand to the holy holies and who doesn't? Who's God's chosen people and who isn't? They began to decide based on ethnicity. Man, if we, oh man, I'm so glad we don't live in a world that does that. They grew separated. That's sarcasm. They grew separated and not separated for the life of the world. They came separated from the life of the world. They built the biggest spiritual dams you could build. They built the largest walls you could build around the temple, literally. They were trying to contain, not released like a wild river into the world to share life and nutrients for the things around. No. To have a really large lake instead. A lake that would provide fish for generations. Lake that would provide entertainment for generations. Lake that would provide water for generations. But what happens when you dam up a living well? It may be good for generations. Like for how long has America been a Christian nation? For 200 years. It may be really good for 200 years. What happens when the water starts drying out? There's nothing living there. really have. I told Ben this morning, I've never taken more notes in my life on this passage than this week. 14 pages of handwritten notes, but no sermon, (laughs) no like common theme. I'm trying to pull it together through the river analogy, but I think I'm losing it. I'm losing (laughs) myself and you maybe through that. So we can just pray that I have one thing that I want to really share here and that the Holy Spirit would help us understand it. I'm not mad at all. I'm not mad. I just see the relevance of this teaching so clearly in our life that I'm having a hard time containing my passion, but I'm not mad. I just see that it's, goodness, Jesus is the living well, okay? Like, obviously, this is going to end where I tell you that Jesus is the living bread, all right? And I'm just seeing that this is so true. Do you know that the word eros, do you know what the word eros is Greek for? The word erotic comes from it. It's, It's a Greek word for Love, yeah, that's right. Did you know that that word is used substantially by secular writers around the time that the Bible was written? Writers, uh, even like uh, writers like Aristotle and Plato, are very versed 
in using the word eros. Do you know what word they don't use for love? Agape. Are you familiar with that word? That's the Greek word for love that is used most often in the Bible. That Bible is not really, that word is not really used outside the Bible. They don't really talk about love in agape form. Outside the Bible, the word that's used the most is eros. Do you know what book does not use the word eros? The Bible doesn't. The Bible doesn't use the word eros for love pertaining to God not one time. Not one time. God's love is never eros. I wonder what the biblical writers are trying to tell us. It's not that they didn't have the word eros. No, they had the word eros. The word eros was around them and used most commonly. As writers, their lexicon had just a whole book dedicated to the word eros. It was a very available word. By not using it, they're telling us a lot more by using it. And so, if you're like me, you're wondering, okay, so what really does eros mean? What's the connotation of eros? What did they use it for? How did they use the word eros? For self-fulfillment. For self-understanding. For self-growth. You've got to work on yourself. You need to work on yourself. You need to find yourself. You need to know who you are. You need to find happiness. You need to go out into this world and you need to discover what it is that lights your fire. You need to find who you are and who you love and what you love and how you love. You need to go out and you need to find your identity, what it is and what it is not. You need to do you. You need to find you. Before long, uh, this sort of passionate pursuit to find ourselves begins with us and ends with us. It's like we send ourselves out to find ourselves. From the very beginning of our lives, it starts with us, and the very end of our lives, it ends with us. The most happy we could ever be is when we find happiness. How many of you today have went out to find happiness by yourself, and you have discovered it? You could make millions of dollars. You've heard this so often in your life, but it's so true, right? Because some of you have made millions of dollars. Is the pot of gold underneath that? Is that where the rainbow ends? Now, some of you have had lots of children, right? Some of us in here have had a lot more than others. Is that, thank you, Sherry. I thought that was funny. Is that where the rainbow ends? Is that where the pot of gold is? Not that there is not blessing and money and blessing and families. Oh my goodness, yes. Yes to all of that, yes. Some of you have found love and some of you are looking for it. Love in relationship to the other. Is that where the pot of gold ends? I don't know. There's blessing in it. There's blessing in you, babe. <laughs> but, oh, I better have set that in there. But when the end of my search is to fulfill the desires that are in my heart, I will search and I will search and I will search and I will search. And it is what secular writers around the biblical times called eros, love. 
Love that extends from the center of the individual and comes back to the individual. Christian love, we're learning something in the abstinence of not using the word eros. They're teaching us something here. And what are they teaching us? Something that Americans desperately need to hear, that there is no room for individuality in Scripture. That it cannot exist. In other words, no matter how much happiness you find, you can never damn that flow up and live. You will only die. Heroin will get you high. And it will make you feel happy. But no matter how much heroin you reserve in your pile, it will kill you trying to find your happiness. No matter how much, right, that we watch in order to fulfill our sexual desires, no matter how much we watch, we could have a whole computer database filled full of things to watch. But it will kill you. Your reservoir may be deep, but it will dry you out. Love can only exist in one place. Believe it or not, I'm going to wrap this up right here, okay? Agape love is defined as love which extends from God, goes through the world, back to God. God is the subject and the object. I'm sorry, Brecken, you are not the subject of God's love. The subject of God's love is God. The object of God's love is God. The whole purpose of God's love, Nate, is not for you to find your personal happiness. The whole purpose of God's love is to fulfill God's plan of flourishing. God's idea of rivers is that they would never be damned. God's ideas of rivers is that they would flow. And that we wouldn't fear from where our water comes from. This is God's plan, right? For all things is that there would be absolute, utter flourishing because that's who God is. God's very nature is love. So when he creates Ryan, he creates out of love because he can't help. His whole purpose of creating you is not so that you feel happy. His whole purpose of creating you is that you would flourish. But flourishing will never happen when we take it upon ourselves to create a reservoir of resources in order to make ourselves self-sufficient. And doing that will become disconnected. And doing that will become disengaged. And trying to grasp for things in order to find life, what we're going to find is that there's not enough grasping that we can do. There's not enough pulling and clawing and climbing that could ever satisfy. Where does flourishing come from? Well, it comes from the very center of who God is, the very nature of God, the very person of God. This type of love is often described as selfless love. God denies God's self in order for creation to flourish. God gives all of God's self to the other. Not because he found Jake Edwards particularly interesting, but because he can't help it. It's his nature. That all of God is given to me. And that through that movement, it's not God trying to find himself. No, it's God giving himself. 
And through that movement of God giving himself all to me, I am gathered up in the love of his son and given back to the Father. I am found is what I'm telling you. That in all of God given to me, I am found in who I am. This is agape love. This is selfless love. This is a river that cannot be dammed up by church tradition. There's never a time in which we will recreate what God done in the past for fresh revival now. That will never happen because that's not who God is. God is endlessly creating, endlessly giving. I think what we have to do is to get the hammer, Donnie will like this one, and begin to bust out the concrete and destroy the dam, the very things in which we're trying to reserve. Another way to say this, Jeff, that may be more familiar is quit. Surrender. Stop seeking. And eat Jesus. (laughs) And drink Jesus. Give up your heart to find happiness. And talk to your Father who flows endlessly. No matter how good it may be, we will never recreate it. So what do we need to do to open up the valves in our dam and let the water flow? To give ourselves to the one who gives all of himself to us. Love defined this way would be like me, not seeking what Jenny can provide me, but everything that I could give Jenny. Is that different than the way that you're dating? then I feel like this passage has given you an opportunity to date differently. Are you dating, trying to find what the other person, how the other person can make your life better? Date this way. Give all of your life to that person, all of it, every single bit of it, all that you have. This would be more akin to agape love. Instead of trying to find your happiness in the other, you give all of who you are to the other. It's a radical change. It's why the Jews looked at Jesus the way you're looking at me. It seems near impossible. (laughs) But in my life, I have not been perfect, Amanda. But in the times in which I have surrendered to the loving flow of God, I have found new channels of life recreated in me, Bonnie. (sighs) And formed within my heart, I could never imagine loving the way in which I am loving now. I could never imagine being as creative as I have been in the last few months and last couple years. Is that because I'm a very creative person? No, it's because the Holy Spirit is living within me, creating and recreating. Flow of life. If we could just somehow live uninhibited. I know I've taken an incredible amount of time this morning. I understand that. I can see the clock. I'll try not to embarrass myself or you. I can't just quit on this. I think the reason that I can't quit is because I understand that the vital importance here for your life, for your life. Friends, don't don't try to control whether that be your wife, your children, or your job, what would it look like to trust 
Jesus says eternal life is that you would believe in me, the bread of life. That word believe is trust. We talk about this often. What would it look like for you to trust Jesus with your job over your own ability to do the job? What would it look like for you to trust your spouse over your ability to impress your spouse? What would it look like for you to trust your children over the ability to fix your children? What would it look like for your pastor to tell you stop doing stuff? And start eating and start drinking of the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, surrender your heart and life unto him. It's through this giving of God's self that we're invited to this sacred table of our Lord. In fact, I'm reminded of St. John Chrysostom's words. He's an ancient father. He describes the table as a fountain where eternal rivers spring forward. And he says that by the side, these are Chrysostom's words here, by the side of this fountain are planted trees reaching to heaven, bearing timely an undecaying fruit, if anyone be scorched with heat, let them come to the side of this fountain and cool their burning. Oh, man. Further, he reminds us that God has given to those who desire him not only to see him. This is Chrysostom's words here. Not only to see Jesus, but for those who desire to touch and eat him. And fix their teeth in his flesh and to embrace him and satisfy all their love. So it's in the feast of the Lord's Supper that our identity is united as seeds planted in Christ and as children of God. We come, as you know, scorched by heat, but in need of rebirth. So let us sink our teeth into the bread and fruit of the vine so that we might remember our rebirth in his death and resurrection. In Christ, we can testify that the scorched plants are cooled and restored to bear much fruit. This morning, I invite you to receive these elements as a means of grace, and then, in response, to offer tithes and offerings as a gift to the Lord in an act of worship. That is, as you receive the grace of the table, You'll then have the opportunity at two offering plates on the side or an offering box in the back to then give out of the same generosity. Now, friends, let us remember the death and passion of our Lord. Let us pray for His coming again. And let us not forget that we are one at one table with the Lord. Shall I pray?